and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. You know, sometime in the years around our 40th birthday, many of us start to feel what I call the ick, like some part of your life no longer fits and you're not quite sure what to do about it. I know that was true for me and I only fought against it, which made it a messier process. But having 40 drinks with 40 people over the course of a year helped me escape the influence of that ick. On this podcast, I welcome you to tap into my stories and experience, as well as those of my guests, to help you emerge from your own ick and maybe even avoid some of the mistakes we made along the way. My mission is to make it common cultural knowledge that there is a transition most of us face around age 40 and then showcase so many versions of that transition that every single person approaching or recently turned 40 with dread in their heart knows that they are not alone. Today, my guest is Birgitta Visser, who hit rock bottom at 35, and then again at 42, both coming in the midst of dysfunctional relationships. She told me she wanted to fix everyone, an urge I have also been guilty of, but she finally figured out that she had to fix herself. Birgitta, thanks you so much for joining me. Hi, Stephanie. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm very excited for our conversation today. We spoke a couple of months ago to sort of get to know each other and sort of flesh out your story a little bit. And you've got some things in your story that I've never heard about before. So yep, everyone has their own bit of trauma to go through. Yeah, exactly. Well, I suppose isn't that isn't that just the the nugget? You got straight to the heart of it. We all have our own individual trauma. So even if we go through some of the same stages, it's going to look different because it's going to be our own individual blend. Yes. <laughs> the way I like to start these conversations is to get us up to the beginning of our story. What's the prologue? Set us up for how you got to your early to mid thirties and where our story begins. So tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, well, do I, do I start with being born? Yeah. Go, you can go all the way back there. <laughs> yes. That's what I put the womb, but, um, just, I mean, in a, in a nutshell, you know, everyone, as I said, goes through some sort of trauma or hardship, um, regardless of age. And I mean, I mean, it can continue throughout our lives. I mean, we get it different array of experiences. For me, from my childhood, that's kind of where it started when I was 10 or 11. I, I was abused by a friend of the family that had a knock-on effect to when my dad died when I was 14 mm -hmm. of coronary heart disease. I was bullied in school. Uh, I was very skinny. Um, I suffered, even then I suffered from eating disorders. My homemade lunch, I would chuck that out. Um, but I would Oh, wow. sit at a dinner table and just eat my dinner because I had so little confidence and I had this immense fear of boys at school um, my mom put me on this modeling course and that didn't that didn't work either because when whatever you go through you need to grab the bull by the horns or you need to get to the root of the issue and then eradicate it. Mm -hmm. You cannot just put a Band-Aid on it. And I think that that's what happened for the longest time. So even in the modeling industry, I was uh, assaulted. And I mean, I traveled the world. You know, you know, I bartended, I was a hostess, I promoted stuff. And, mm -hmm. and that was already in my 20s. And, um, and yeah. then I lost my stepdad as well. 
to cancer. Then I rolled into drugs for several months, suffered a blackout. For me, this is not taboo, but I mean, you know, I had sex when I was on drugs. I had a bit, I wasn't even aware of it. And then from one day to the next, I just stopped because that mm-hmm. was just, I, I, I just felt horrible on the inside. That's one of the first things that my mom asked me, are you still doing it? Mm-hmm. No, mom. Boom, done, cold turkey. It was just when my stepdad died, it was very, very difficult for me because she was leaning on me emotionally. And to kind of fit into the mold of society, people wanted you to be happy. So I couldn't really talk about it. So that's what I did. Then going into my 30s, gosh, I just accumulated all this trauma and I carried it with me. I was like Atlas carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders and... I only started healing probably in 2009 when I was 30, 34, 35, when I started to heal because my ex at that time, he was a crack addict, part-time crack addict, which I didn't know. Let's pause there for a second because it it really does get into the meat of our story. I just want to go back for a moment. So you said when you were a kid, you had, of course... um, a hell of a start. And then your dad died. So you really had a lack of confidence. That's why your mom put you into modeling. She thought that would help with the confidence. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. Not only that, I will tell you something funny. I was picked up for a hair show and uh, the hairdresser made me one of the main models, but my hair went from here till shoulder length into a pixie cut where you can, I can tell you, I felt horrified. I felt so ugly. I wish it would just grow back in a day, but unfortunately it took quite a few months. You know, what's really funny when I was in my um, early twenties, I, I worked for the Boston Globe during college. I was a co-op editorial assistant and there was an opportunity that came up. There was a hair show and, you know, one of the older reporters came by and said, you know, who wants a free haircut down on Newbury street, which is the Tony street in Boston. And Mm -hmm. I said, Oh, I, I would love one. I had no sense of the situation. So I went in and I sat in the chair kind of thinking like, yay, I'm going to get a fun haircut. And at that time, I probably had hair down to like, I think I kept it at like my bra strap or kind of above, you know, when I was, when I was young and they wanted to give me like some asymmetric blue, you know, thing. And I freaked out and said, no, you can't do that. And I remember the stylist being very sort of, annoyed at me because because that kind of wasn't the deal. I was supposed to go in and just let them do whatever they wanted. So um, so I, I completely understand what you're talking about, this thing about the hair show and them wanting to show their creativity and their, oh, you know, yes. their craziness. I was out in New York and uh, I went to this hair show and I thought it would be great. I told them, do not cut my hair short do not put funny colors in it. I'm telling you, there were no mirrors there for anyone. So they colored my hair. They chopped it really weird. It was like very funny. And the front too. And then it was like a platinum blonde. And there was orange in it. And then there was another color in it. I went to the bathroom. Oh my God. I was horrified. I looked yeah. like a, like, honestly, I looked like a freak. My flatmates were like, you look like a heroin chick. I'm like, gee, thanks. So I had, I had to get that corrected. I did not go back. I made, I made up some lame excuse, you know, bad me. 
And I just said that my grandma had fallen ill. And I said, I'm really sorry, but I'm not coming back. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I I remember it was a male reporter who came in with this toss off, like who wants a free haircut thing. And, and I don't know if he understood all the details, but he certainly didn't communicate them to me. And I didn't know well enough to ask. I was probably 21, maybe 20. And it was like, you know, who wants a free haircut on Newbury Street? I'm like, whoa, whoa, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> you know, not realizing there were strings attached. You know, it's, it's interesting how much our hair can really affect how we feel about ourselves. You'd think it's so um, not important, but it's, it's, it's unbelievable how much it really does. Uh, it does affect us. Funnily enough, I wore a pixie. After I wouldn't let that guy cut my hair short, I wore a pixie for maybe a decade through my like through my thirties and loved it. It was, I don't know, maybe it was it was as sassy as I was feeling at that decade, but I I completely understand. Yeah, yeah. wow. So then your uh, your step your stepfather died and you fall into drugs. Was it was it something that was in your social group yeah. in your environment is it like how did how did that yeah happen? it was in the social group and I'd never touched it but I was very much down in the dumps and I think that was because my mom was leaning on me emotionally and I wanted to talk yeah. to my friends and yeah. they just wanted me to show my happy face and so I couldn't really yeah. talk about it and that's when we you know we often try and fit in into that mold of society mm -hmm. thinking, okay, you know what, let's just, let's just go along. And I, I did. And so I rolled into that for about three months. I know I was still working. It wasn't like I did it every day, but the blackouts. Yeah. yeah that. Uh... And then I just yep. woke up one and it was yep. really like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about how you met the boyfriend that you were that you were dating in your in your mid thirties. Oh, that's old school. Well, you, do you remember something called MySpace? Oh my god, of course I remember <laughs> MySpace and Tom and my top eight friends. Yes, MySpace was the best social media there ever it, was. It was. I, it was absolutely, and that's how I met him. And we were in touch over the years because I, I, you know, I traveled and I was working. And then I finally went to visit him in North Carolina and everything was fine. And then I, something I should not have done. Because that was the way that I was, have always been wired. Not anymore, but I bought him a plane ticket to come to Holland. And mm -hmm. we came, uh, I was finding work for him. I think because I've traveled so much, uh, more times than my age, it was, for me, it's so easy to find work. You can put me in the middle of the desert and I'll still find work. Mm -hmm. And um, it was pretty hard on him, but I didn't know that he was a drug addict. He had held down all jobs, even in, you know, working in call centers. Um, okay. And in, in Holland, he did a lot of promotional gigs. Um but he slipped and then I saw firsthand somebody with oh, crack hands and he so wanted to get better. I had to kick him out of the house. That's how bad it had become because mm -hmm. he tried to pawn my stuff 
and I had to get the police involved. And then I had my mom who was like constantly calling me, wanting to make sure that I was all right. And, um, but to see someone, how long is this from the, from the time you bought him the, the ticket to come over and see you in Holland? Several how- months. Okay. So a few months. Yeah. And, and what are crack hands? So it's like when, when people smoke crack and they, they keep using the lighter, it's like they get the blisters on their hands. It's, okay. it's, it's horrific. And he did call a counselor, I mean, a, a rehab center, but they refused to take him on because it's really, it, it, it boggles my mind, honestly, because those that have an addiction problem, they said, well, he needs to get sober first. And I said, aren't you <laughs> there to help him get sober? His- and other places were like, yeah, we'd like to take him on, but he doesn't have a Dutch social security. It got from bad to worse because in Holland, in The Hague, we had the Crips. And so he landed in bed with them. He Crips. Them. You mean the Crips, yeah. the gang? Yeah. Yes. Crips. So there's a Dutch version too. And this guy, I mean, he, I don't know, he went into a seedy neighborhood. We met them. But he eventually was held for ransom because he stole from them. Um, I actually, in a nutshell, I helped the police save his life. And then the leader of the Crips, he called me and he said, listen, if I ever find you, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, if I ever find your boyfriend, my ex now, you will never find him because he'll be dead in the ditch somewhere. Anyhow, my ex was deported back to the US. I had already left in the space of several days. You know, my mom, I made sure that I went to the UK and I rented a place there. And I actually just downed a whole box of ibuprofens because I was just so down in the dumps. That really just hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And that was really a rock bottom for me. One of my rock bottoms. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And how old were you when your stepdad died? My step, well, my stepdad died. That was in 2000. So that I was 26. So this is like a kind of a decade that you've been from the time your stepdad yeah. died and you had that uh, little period where you were doing drugs and then all the way around to this boyfriend. And, and, and so now you're 35 and you're back in the UK yeah. And you take a whole box of ibuprofen. I know. It was a very lame attempt at my own life. My mom just said to me, Brigitte, go and see a counselor. And I did. I even went to the police and I explained to them what happened. Stephanie, I kid you not, they just shrugged their shoulders and they're like, it's not our problem. It's It's not in our jurisdiction. Well, fast forward many years later, I think, was it last year or the year before, uh, in the Netherlands, this guy was sentenced to life. It was the biggest case the prosecution had ever seen. He's gone now. He's, he's behind bars now. Good. They had to garner a lot of information over the years. And that's why the police yeah. said to my mom in Holland, is your daughter leaving the country? And my mom's like, yes. And he's like, that is the best thing for her. So even at that time, they were you know, garnering that information, but it took many, many years before they could take the case mm. to trial. Wow. Mm. All right. So your mom says you should see yes, a counselor. Yes, she did. I did. 
And um, I remember going to her and she listened to my story. And when I'd finished, she just looked at me and she's like, well, you've been through so much. She's like, but you're strong enough. You'll be fine. What the hell am I going to do with that? Well, as, <laughs> as a business owner, you've just cut yourself off from any more business. And from a therapist's point of view, like, isn't the whole point to like work Thank with somebody you, yes. for months no. or years, right? Like, like, nope, check. Okay, you're good. Bye. <laughs> yes, you put it like that. So I had to figure it out. I didn't come in with a cheat sheet, Stephanie. So I, I mean, so I went the holistic route and I researched and I found a Reiki practitioner. And I went to see her and she was... Uh, she was incredible. She was amazing. She really helped me. And it wasn't just the healing she gave me, but she also talked to me. So it helped me as well. And I mm -hmm. suffered. And for many, many years, I'm not the only one. Many people will suffer from this. The doormat syndrome. Welcome. Wipe mm -hmm. your feet. How can I help you? Oh, because do you know mm -hmm. what? Birgitta was so afraid of hurting other people. So... Mm -hmm. I would always compromise, always compromise. And every single relationship that I was in, even this one, and that wasn't the last one, I would help them till the ends of the earth, whether it was financially or finding jobs or, or help them out in any other way, I would do it. And what happens? Mm. What happens when we do that? We walk in our own shadow, so to speak, and we neglect ourselves and how we feel and it's like at the, at the, at the end, we're the ones that are hurting ourselves. We allow it. Mm. And I did. So I take full yeah. responsibility for that. Yeah. Yeah. You found this Reiki yeah. practitioner those first few times you saw the practitioner. What did it do for you? What did it feel like? What, what were you getting from it? Reiki is one of those really um, ambiguous kind of modalities that a lot of people, unless you've experienced it yeah. firsthand, they don't quite understand. So it can either be done as distant healing or as hands-on healing. So I went to see her, so it was really hands-on healing. And it's really about rebalancing your energy center. So your energy, your auric field. And it really helped to calm me down and kind of see the bigger picture. But as I said, she also talked to me. And that's the one thing she said, Brigitte, why have you allowed people to treat you like a doormat? And she was very honest about that. So that really helped mm -hmm. me as well. But I actually trained under her and did level one and two in the space of, it took me like one and a half years. Did you have an answer for her when she asked, why do you let people treat you like a doormat? Because I was afraid of hurting, of, of hurting other people. That, you know, and I really wanted to help them, but you're not there to save them. And the thing is, we try and do so much for other people, but what we don't realize is that they also have to experience their own life. And if we, you know, if we stump their growth, we also stump our own growth. So sometimes we have to just mm -hmm. let people be and let them walk their own journey. Because how else right. are they going to experience life? And how else are we going to progress and move forward in life? Right, right. 
Yeah. I I did a lot of that myself in my relationships through my twenties and thirties is, you know, if I only, if I only love you good enough, you'll see how good you are and you'll live up to your potential or you'll, you know, like you say, the, the money and the, you know, helping with jobs and the, you know, support. I, I did a lot of that as well. I did a lot of, uh, maybe I can save you or maybe I can help you or, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. And it, it, didn't work in a hundred percent of the cases. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> and oftentimes when we were in relationships and it, it's, it's all our interpersonal relationships, many are reflections of what we need to heal within. And yes. mind you, my ex is doing well now. He, uh, he did conquer his demons. So I, I respect him for that. Yeah. Sure. And I don't hate him. I have no bitterness, nothing. Uh, because if I were to carry that with me, then what would I have learned? And that is the thing, regardless of what, and, and people will think differently of that. But for me, regardless of what I have been through, I have nothing but gratitude for all my experiences. And mm-hmm. I love each and every one of them for having been a part of my life. Because how can I not? I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't gone through all these experiences. Yes. It's a hard position to hold though. I I know for sure myself that even though I believe that to a T that, you know, if I hadn't done X, Y, and Z, then I wouldn't be who I am today and that everything builds on top of each other. There are still times when I like look over my shoulder and I, I wonder, well, you know, what if I had done this or I wish I had done that or I, you know, I wish I had smartened up sooner or, you know, what would have happened if I, you know, made that leap or that move. And so I, I still do find myself doing some, what do they call it? Monday morning quarterbacking, <laughs> even of my own path. It's like the sliding door effects. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sliding doors. Great yes. movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. If I had only, you know, chosen this instead of that, but honestly, anytime I play that game, I realized that if I had walked through any of those other sliding doors or made any of those other decisions, I don't know. I couldn't feel confident that I would have ended up with my husband, Patrick, Mm -hmm. and he is my angel. Anytime I do play that, I wonder what if, you know, what would have, you know, if I had to give up my present, I'm not sure that I would do it. Yeah. Tell me what happened the year you turned 40. Another big move, yeah, right? Yeah, it was 2014. Gosh, yes, it was 2014. Gosh, I'm old. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Hi, we'll get back to the show in just a minute. You know, if you're in the midst of a midlife transition, I want you to know that my whole reason for doing this podcast is to make sure you know you're not alone. Birgitta's story is wild, but not everyone's looks or feels like hers does. However, after publishing 80-something episodes, and I've got another dozen or so in the can, I've seen a lot of flavors of midlife transition, which got me thinking. If you've got an issue you're facing, or something you're going through, I can recommend an episode or two that might be relevant for what you're experiencing. Hearing how someone else faced something like what you're going through might help you see paths you hadn't noticed or give you ideas on how to make your way through this transformation. 
Think of it as a personal podcast prescription. I'd love to make one for you. I've heard a whole lot so far, so go ahead and try and stump me. <laughs> DM me on social or email me at stephanie at 40drinks.com. And don't forget to spell out the word 40. All right, back to the show. Yeah, I studied many, many healing modalities because it was just like a SpongeBob. But yes, in 2014, I moved to St. Petersburg in Florida because I bought a property, bank owned, and uh, I it was the pits inside. But over many months, what inspired you to just from the from yep, London or from the UK, uh, the UK to just go? Let's yep, go to Florida. I just had a pull towards it for a very, very long time. And it was just that the market had crashed and it was like, huh. And the realtor said to me, he's like, do St. Petersburg, buy something in St. Petersburg and not in Tampa because St. Petersburg is up and coming. So I did. And, um, I mean, I got it for $50,000 at the time. It's now worth about half a mm -hmm. mil. Um, but you know, I sold it. And so I met my then other ex in Florida Mm -hmm. And your next boyfriend, yeah. yes. And he was also another trip. It's always like, you know, you go through one experience and you think, yeah, this is not going to happen to me again. And then you roll into another one years later, years later. And it was like, this was an experience wrapped in a different kind of packaging. <laughs> so right. Well, I always love to say the universe is oh. going to send you the same lesson over and over and over again until yeah. you learn it. And each time it's going to get a little bit more intense yes. to, so that the universe can get your attention. I know. That's what, that's exactly what yeah. it was. And yeah. he got a reckless and reckless. Close, like a, not a DUI, but a reckless, even though the car was parked okay. and he didn't do a breathalyzer. How do you get a reckless? Sorry? Wait, 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 wait. How do you, how do you get a reckless driving, yep. uh, uh, charge when a car is parked? I, I, I don't understand that either, but he said, even though the car was off and it was parked, oh. uh, they wanted him to do a breathalyzer test. He refused. And that's where the problem started. And, okay. and then he lost his mother. And he fell into a deep, deep depression. He moved from an hour away to two doors down from me, from my new home. And I'll tell you something funny. My my best friend, she passed away in two, 2000, the end of 2013. And she compared him to a crazy cat lady because I already bought the place in 2013, but I moved there in 2014. And... Uh, She's like, he's a crazy cat lady. He's a crazy cat lady because he couldn't part with his cats to be with me. He would build a cattery in my back garden. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Or, you know, we can put them in the garage. No, that is not going to happen. Anyhow, long story short, um, I moved there and he wouldn't leave me be. He had the keys to my home and um, he said much, much later, he's like, yeah, but you threatened to go to the police. And I said, but you threatened me with, with immigration. And I was supposed to extend my visa and that got messy because I got into this. I was so anxious, even though I was working like crazy and he wasn't, um, you know, I helped pay his bills. Um, he just couldn't get out of that funk out of that, you know, that, that depression. 
he had never mm -hmm. lost anyone before. And so that really hits him hard. That is no excuse um, because I often told him, you're procrastinating. I said, stop procrastinating and just accept the circumstances and heal. Um, but as he said much later, he's like, I was so afraid of losing you that I didn't work on me, you know, that he didn't work on mm -hmm. himself. And I actually sold my home to get away from him. And then I felt like such a failure that I bought another home in St. Pete, which was a bit of a money pit because that's how bad I was. And often I would lie on the floor in the dark, just crying and screaming at the universe. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. You know, and I would just curse away. And I, the universe must have been, uh, my guys must have been like, oh, bro, Brigitte, you really asked for it this time. And so, <laughs> and I'm sure they were like, Ah, leaning backwards, you know, picking up the popcorn and thinking, well, how are you going to get out of this one? Are you finally going to learn? Right. And I, when I, when I moved to the place, it was actually, I did listen. And because I was really exasperated, there was nothing left of me. I mean, I was pretty much skin over bones. And uh, because that's what I did. You know, these were my coping mechanisms. I could work like a maniac, you know, playing Houdini with my emotions, just keep running and keep going. And I was a pro at starving mm -hmm. myself. And people would say, well, you're really skinny. I'm like, yeah, that's my metabolism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm 5'11". Um, I'm pretty lanky. But my sister advised me of Kumbo, which is a shamanic frog medicine. And... Um, I went to see a shaman a couple of hours away in Florida and uh, it's very, very, very physical um, because what the shaman did, he was, he burned like four points, either in the arm or in, in the leg. Uh, for me, it was the leg and he put the frog poison on there. And what happens is you start to purge pretty much straight away. You've got to drink two liters of water and then you purge. It's like everything just comes out and you have to you run to the toilet as well. Um, and so that was a tough one. It took me like four hours and the shaman said, do you know why it took you four hours to let everything go? I'm like, no, he's like your ego. You are so conditioned. You're so programmed. Your ego is sitting in the driver's seat. And that was very enlightening for me. I mean, I must've been a sadomasochist because I did it two more times after that. But it changed my outlook. I was so much clearer and I made a whole bucket list. And on that was, because I have a fear of heights. So I went skydiving and, uh, oh my gosh, I nearly peed in my pants, but I did it. <laughs> and then I promised my stepdad back in 2000 that I would be running for charity, mostly cancer. And so I finally started to do 5Ks in St. Petersburg and uh, one 10k so i did that and i loved it just loved running um interesting but not even like two weeks later after i'd done the first combo session it was almost like the universe kicked me out of the house and there was this fair and uh a spiritualist fair and i went there 
And that's where I met my former mentor, Alania Starhawk. And what she did was what you call an Akashic Record Healer. That means you walk through the Akashic Records, your past lives, to heal unhealed experiences that you've taken, you know, from those lifetimes into this lifetime. And Mm -hmm. uh, in one of them, my Floridian ex had uh, poisoned me with an arsenic. And he was saying that he was trying to help cure me, but I became sicker and it took several months before I crossed over. Um, And that was really funny because I had suffered immense issues with my stomach for many, many months. I was literally, I kid you not, I even have a picture of it still, skin over bones. And I couldn't figure it out. And, you know, my guides were like, oh, Brigitte, listen, you want to get better? How about you ditch the guy? But it wasn't that simple. (laughs) So, um, and it's funny because once that was healed, the energy changed overnight. And he left me in peace and I could move forward with my life. And he actually did the same. He picked up the pieces and moved to a different place. And now he's doing really, really well. And he said to me, uh, he's like, if I hadn't met you, I wouldn't have been able to grow the way that, you know, I've kind of been able to grow. So he said, so I cannot thank you enough for that. Okay. All right. So, so this brings us pretty much to the end of your Florida yes. time. Is that right? I left. And then you moved back I did. to the UK, the United Kingdom. I yep. did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the house was a money pit. <laughs> the old garage, I got ripped off by the builders. It was terrible because the builder had a drug problem. And so, I mean, we'd agreed that I would pay him in installments, which I did. Then the last installment finished, boom, he was gone, like the wind. And the house was only done for like 70%. Yes, I did get it finished. It cost me a little bit more. And then there were issues. There were so many issues with it. But eventually I sold it after I'd returned to the UK and... I sold it for pretty much a loss. Uh, At that point, I didn't really Mm. care anymore. I wanted to just get rid of it. I was already in my 40s. You know, I was like um, Mm -hmm. 43. And Mm -hmm. I just said said to my mom, I said, you know, all the people I know have gotten married, have families, they have a home, they've got a job. I said, look at me. What have I got? Absolutely nothing. And I said, and I'm 43. And she looked at me and she's like, but Birgitta... Look at you. You've traveled the world. You've seen different cultures. You've always worked wherever you've been in the world. Your life has been enriched. And she's like, and this is your path. Some people will settle for, you know, marriage and kids and and having the house and just a steady job. And she's like, but Mm. no, you've done different things. And she's just like, but, you know, I'm proud of you and all that you've achieved. Um, but it was still hard, you know, I'm I'm not going to lie. It was hard for me because it took me six weeks to get a job, six weeks. And I was applying left, right, and center. And, um, I did. What kind of jobs were you applying? Oh, anything from admin to even McDonald's because I didn't care. 
Actually, right, the right, McDonald's right. did hire me. It happened twice. They hired me, but it, it always like takes like two months because you got to wait for the uniform. And by that time I, I found an office job. So you're back yep. in the UK. You've gone through a bunch of holistic healing yes. modalities. You've worked with a shaman. You've worked with um, a Kashic record healer, which is a new one to me. Um, tell me where you are mentally and emotionally after going through all those experiences. Well, that's a good question. I understand life and the experiences we each go through. The thing is, mm -hmm. we often, well, we're like drowning rats because we hang on to our experiences rather than looking at it from a different perspective. It's not like, hmm. you know, why is this happening to me? But actually, why is this happening for me? What can I learn from this? What is the lesson entailed within this experience? That is the difference. And it doesn't mean, Stephanie, that I do not go through things because trust me, 2023 has been a tough year for me. And it's all about almost like death and rebirth and transformation. And so many old wounds have surfaced. And, you know, rather than playing like whack a mole with your emotions, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, put them under the loop, reevaluate your, your life. There's obviously a reason this has, this has come back in your face, so to speak. And we always get so absorbed in our own dramas because that's what we create. We create our experiences, you know, and every mm -hmm. single challenge is actually an opportunity to learn and to understand, hey, why is this happening for me? When you start to understand that, it's like, oh, you know, I can deal with this. It's okay. And you don't make such a big deal out of it anymore. Life becomes different. Mm -hmm. Whatever you may go through, yeah. you know, we all vibe at this different level of consciousness, you know, of awareness, and that is okay. But for me, it's changed completely. I mean, I fell into... <clears throat> Uh, my uh, old programming a little bit this year because <laughs> I had to do a role in my company. So I was working 60, 70 hours a week continuously pretty much this whole year. Then, you know, promoting my book, doing the marketing, um, podcasts, you name it. And I was like this smoking little gerbil and I was burning out fast. Um, and so... Yeah. I decided I needed some peace and quiet and I moved to Spain. But not only that, I did, again, grab the bull by the horns and I said to work, I'm sorry, I'm not doing this anymore. I cannot go on like this anymore. And um, so from next year, the 1st of January, one roll drops and I will start doing normal hours. It's not like I get paid for overtime. That ain't happening. Right, right. So it was a lesson. And it's also a lesson to, for me especially, because many people get caught in this trap of just working, working, working and paying their bills. And life is not about that. It's really about following our passions and cultivating joy within ourselves, doing what makes us happy. Mm. And I lost about eight kilograms neglecting myself. And there's no shame in that. Um, I've put it right. back on now, 
but I really thought to myself, you know, what am I doing? I'm, I'm not doing things that I should be doing and things that I love. And that's really important in life because if not, you come to that point in life where you're like, well, what if I'd done that? Or what if I'd done that? Mm -hmm. And I don't want that anymore. So, I mean, yes, I'm in yeah. Spain right now. It's a period of transformation for me. I am pretty much isolated. I'm not in the middle of a town, but I can see the ocean. I'm in a townhouse and I have the inspiration to write again. And so uh, that was the main thing. And it's all about the quality of life. It's so important. So something you said a moment ago about what life is about, how do you cultivate joy in your own life? I've got my dog. My dad always used to say this, when you get up in the morning, start the day with a smile. I start with my meditation and I end the day with my meditation and it gives me so much clarity and I appreciate every day that I've been given because without the breath of life, Stephanie, we wouldn't be here. So be grateful right. for every day that you've been given because it's like another opportunity for you to make amends or to change your life. And there mm. honestly is no right or wrong in how you decide to experience life. People will right. have their opinions but and it will rub off on people. And it's like, yeah, but maybe I shouldn't be doing this. No, follow the song in your own heart. It took me many years to really get to that point. And now I just do that. And I do not bend over backwards like a weeping willow in the wind anymore. I do not do that. I've learned to set my boundaries. That's been really, really mm -hmm. important. And has, has that um, allowed you to have more successful relationships with friends or romantic partners? I will tell you something. I've been on my own since 2015, pretty much. So, oh, maybe I'm a born again virgin. Who knows? But, you know, I'm happy. <laughs> I, okay. I had to look really deep within and cultivate that relationship with myself. You know, we often look for happiness outside of ourselves in other people, mm -hmm. but everything is found mm -hmm. within ourselves. And mm -hmm. truth be told, yes, I've always been a social butterfly, but for the last heaven knows how many years, I love my solitude. I love my own company. I really do. And there are very, very few people I allow in. Very few I can count them on one hand and I don't even have to use my whole hand <laughs> and, and that's okay. Besides that, yeah. you know, acquaintances, that's fine. But yeah, sure. I love my own company. That's great. Would you consider yourself a happy person now? Yeah, I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy. Okay. I still strive. Right. I mean, so I'm still a work in progress too. That doesn't mean I'm happy every single day. Right, right. But if you compare oh. to, say, your late 20s oh. or your early 30s or, you know. Totally different. And there's just a complete different person. I'm not that needy, insecure, um, anxious person anymore. I really don't carry the world on my shoulders anymore. I just, I don't. How did you learn to take that weight off your shoulders? by alchemizing all my unhealed experiences. But what works for one doesn't have to work for another. That's why I always say right. to people, you have to do whatever agrees with your spirit, whatever aligns with you. Right. 
the things that have helped you are are definitely on the woo woo yes. out there end of the spectrum. Yes. And um, I have used some of those modalities as well, not the same ones you're talking about. And it's interesting because you go into them, or at least I did at the beginning with, you know, some level of skepticism of like, ugh, you know, all right, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, someone talked me into it or whatever. Um, but a lot of them really do resonate at, at deep levels and at, at sort of incomprehensible levels. Yeah. Um, and that being said, I've, I've had energy healings that I walk out of and go, meh. Nothing happened and nothing changed in my life. It's always an interesting part of the journey to to find this first sort of crazy woo-woo out there modality and maybe get a little, you know, feel a little something or, or get a spark out of it or a nugget out of it. And then to keep following your nose down that path and, I don't know, try things and, you know, which things you like and which things you Absolutely. don't like. That's been my experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Brigitta, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today and and telling me your wild story. I thought I had a wild <laughs> 20s and 30s, but um no, you definitely put me to shame there, but I know. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm so pleased that um you've found a, a place of of peace and stability and and happiness. So thank you so much for sharing your story. No, thank you so much for having me, but I'm still not done traveling though. This is not my end destination. Why would you be? <laughs> <laughs> good, good. For somebody like you who's traveled so much uh, throughout your entire life, I can't imagine you'll ever be done traveling. It's just in your bones. Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, I leave stuff behind. I start again and then I leave stuff behind. I don't care. It goes to charity or I just don't care. It's just material, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Well, happy travels. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening today. What did you think of Brigitte? I was struck that the thing that she was suffering from in most in the story she shared today was a lack of, and the phrase that sort of comes to mind is intestinal fortitude. She sort of described it as confidence. And I'm thinking of that internal strength that we grab onto when we need to say no to something or when we need to take a leap of faith. I've said it before and the more conversations I have, the truer it becomes. What happens to us as little kids, our experiences as children, just has major, major effects on us as adults. If I think of my own life, I think of the things that happened when I was a kid having much lower stakes than the things that happened when I was a young adult. But that's really not necessarily true. Because the wounds from childhood can have a significant impact on the way we move through life as adults. For Birgitta, she said that she learned what she called doormat syndrome, which I'm going to interpret as another way to describe people-pleasing. For her, it wasn't so much making people happy that was driving her as it was not hurting anyone, which I kind of think is this, the other side of the coin there. And her lessons were pretty extreme. I have not yet encountered someone else who received a death threat from a gang leader. So I finally get to mark that one off my bingo card, which actually gets me thinking, how much fun would it be to make 40 drinks bingo cards? Hmm. I'm going to have to think about that. 
All right. But coming back from silliness to Birgitta's story, it was that confidence, that inner thing that got knocked off when she was just a little kid, 10 or 11, and she was assaulted by a family friend. And then she lost her dad just a couple years later. And I love that her mom saw that she was having problems with confidence and thought that putting her in that modeling course would help. And again, this is one of those examples of these external authorities, the people that are trying to do well by us, telling us things we should do. And I know Birgitta was young and she probably wasn't in a position, in a position to uh, deny that. Um, and from her mom's point of view, it probably, you know, there probably are some people for whom taking a modeling course and, and doing some modeling would increase your confidence. Um, but it didn't work that way for Birgitta. And so then she found herself sort of wandering through without that, again, that sort of structure, that that strength in her in her innards that allowed her to make better decisions. And another one of the consistent themes during these conversations is taking the time to get to know yourself because the missing pieces are usually inside you. A lot of times they may be things we gave up as children or as young people we thought might be frivolous or, or not worthy of our time or attention, but it turns out that some of those things are really the true core of who we are. Birgitta said she actively worked to cultivate a relationship with us, with herself. And she did say, we often look for happiness outside of ourselves in other people, but everything is found within. And that reminds me again of Dorothy Gale at the end of the Wizard of Oz. And I know I had said this at the end of at least one other interview, and I just peeked back and it was 10 episodes ago, number 71 with Justin Shank. So at the end of the movie, when Glinda the Good Witch asks Dorothy what she learned from her, from her time in Oz, Dorothy says, if I ever go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard, because if it isn't there, I never really lost it to begin with. And of course, Judy Garland said it a little breathier and a little, uh, with a little bit more uh, yearning, uh, but... At the end of the day, as we hit midlife, gosh, aren't we all just Dorothy having to learn for ourselves what home really means to us and then how to find it? Yeah, we are. <laughs> One last thing before I go today. I have a crazy idea that I'm percolating in my brain. Um, it's not fully baked, so I'm not going to go too deep, but I'm thinking about adding some sort of book group episodes into the mix. So if you love to read and you want a book group with me, drop me a line. Um, again, DM me on social or email me at stephanie at 40 drinks.com. And don't forget to spell out the word 40. All right. Next week, you are going to meet my dear, dear friend, Susie Castellanos Hansley. Susie and I met through my previous guest, Mitch Webb, and we are all part of a little study group as we go through Irene Lyon's Smart Body, Smart Mind program. We touched a little bit on nervous system healing in my conversation with Mitch, and we're going to touch on it a little bit more next week with Susie. 
and I cannot wait to share her with you. So I'll see you next week. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Fair Marketing Communications.